Well, Brother Jeff is out this weekend. He mentioned last week that he was going to be preaching a homecoming um, at, an, at another church. I don't remember where it was now. Start with an E. The only thing that comes to mind is Enoch. But that's a person in the Bible, so I don't know where he's at. Um, but he uh, asked me to step in and preach this morning, and I'm so thankful for the opportunity to, just to preach this morning. Um, but before we get started, let's just pray. Pray over God's Word, and um, that God just takes me out of the way. Father, we just want to lift you up this morning, God, and lift your word high because you are worthy, you are good, you are sovereign. And God, I pray this morning as we look at your word, God, and, you know, and try to just dissect um, the story that you have for us today, Father, that you, you take myself away, and God, you only speak to hearts. I pray for hearts to be softened. I pray for you to move, God, and show yourself mighty to someone today in this room who needs to hear your words. We ask these things in your name. Amen. All right. So we are going to be, if you want to turn there, we'll be in John chapter 8. Um, if you have not been with us before the past few weeks, we kind of t- have taken a small hiatus from the book of John. Um, we, the book of John is a book that you guys as a church have been going through from before I was on staff here. And so I am coming up on nine months or so now, and we are in chapter 8 of John, so as you can tell, we're probably going to be in John for a while. Um, but, you know, it's good. It's all right. Um, and several weeks ago, as, I, as he asked me that he was going to be gone, he asked me to preach, I started looking at the, the verse, and I was kind of reading through it. And I want to just kind of walk you through what it takes for me to kind of like do my little sermon prep when I'm getting ready to preach God's Word, which I, I, I find to be extremely humbling because I understand, guys, that I am, there's people in this room smarter than me. There are people in this room who can communicate better than I can. And so when I, when I look at God's Word, and, he, and I'm, especially with the opportunity to teach, I take it very seriously, and I really want to make sure we get it right. So, but the way I start planning sermons is I read a passage, and I read through it, and I just start asking questions. You know, I, I like the, the who, what, when, where, why, and how, Right? If you've probably sat in an English class in middle school, high school, there probably was a poster in your room that somewhere it had those things. When it comes to reading and writing, those are like the key questions or the key things you need to answer to write well or to read context well. And so in my mind, I have like this, there's this vision. It was probably middle school, but I, just, I, have, I can see the poster. And it said, who, what, where, when, and why, and how. And I apply that to when I'm looking at Scripture because you know what? I think it's okay to ask questions of Scripture. Like, I read through it, and I'm like, okay, God, I don't know what that means. Okay, God, why did you say that? Why did you use that person? How did it, we even get to this point? Right? There's all these questions that, that help explain and help us learn what God's Word is. Now, I have to honestly tell you, when I first read the passage, I read something, and I was like, man, I know exactly where I'm going. I'm going to be teaching this. And then as I started to ask the questions and really dig in, I, I got, God was like, that's not what that says. <laughs> He's like, you know, you, you need to actually teach what's in there. But I think, especially as pastors, it's easy to do that because we, sometimes we want to preach what we want to preach. And God, we just say, God, hey, I got this. I'm going to read the words you gave me, but I'm just going to leave you out of it and teach what I think's there. And that's a dangerous place to be. So I read through it, and I started asking questions, and, and very quickly I began to realize that there, there's a whole lot more depth here than, than I even thought there was in the beginning. 
you know, we've been going through this, this, this Bible uh, study of John. We started a church-wide chronological Bible reading plan uh, where we are reading the Bible chronologically for the next 52 weeks. Actually, we're down to 51 weeks now, if no one's counting. Okay? Um, so if you're a week behind already, you still have time to catch up, I promise. Um, but you know what's important? Why we're doing these things? Why I think it's so cool we're going through the book of John? Because when you read with a purpose, you understand the context and the depth that's there that you don't get when you just randomly read God's Word. Now, I will be the first one to say that when I first started walking with Christ in middle school, man, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do. As many people who are new believers, they're like, I don't know how to read God's Word. This is an old book. It's got lots of big words. And as a seventh grader, that was a little intimidating. So I remember going, okay, God, you're in control, and I want the Holy Spirit just to tell me what to read. Give me the passage. Okay, God, you need a wind or something to kick up? It's right there. It's ready. And I'd wait. Okay, hold, hold on. God, let me help you. Wind. Okay. And I would wait. Nothing would happen. And I'd just look down and be like, okay, um, well, keep the Sabbath holy. Well, that's, that's a good one to read, I guess. But, you know, I'd read it out of context, out of the contextual history of what is in the Scripture. And you can miss so much because of that. But God's Word definitely works better when you're reading in a planned, succinct fashion. So once I began to look at this passage in John chapter 8, I'm glad I bookmarked that. It would take me a while to find it. I then start to ask, okay, God, you've, you, I've, I've found these answers. I've done my research. I've, I've seen what you're actually trying to say. How does that apply to my life? How does this story from hundreds, thousands of years ago fit in my life in 2019? So I asked that question. I'm like, God, just reveal it to me. Then I asked this next question, which is so crucial, and I think we miss. A lot of times we get to the, hey, how does it fit in my life? But we forget that God's trying to reveal himself to us. It's important that we now ask, what characteristic of God is he trying to teach me more about through this passage? So I normally don't have several points because when you teach students, um, students don't feel dumb, but it's just how it is. I usually, I, if I can get away with getting one point across, I'm good. And so I just usually go for one point. Um, today we have three. So baptistically, we have three today. So if you write down and take notes, I actually numbered them. And, and I will try to mention those numbers as I get to them because I don't, I don't usually take notes during sermons. I know, bad. But um, here it is. But point number one. When you learn God's character as well as his words, you will know God on a personal level. And I, I say will because you will. You will have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now you may say, well, anyone can read the Bible and, and you know, learn some information there. That doesn't mean they're a Christian. That doesn't mean they have a relationship with Jesus. But you forget what God's word is. God's Word is Jesus. And so when we know and we really read and study God's Word with spiritual eyes, you will know God personally. And this is the entire reason John wrote this whole book. In the very beginning of the book, he, he writes, so, this is so that we'll know Jesus. That's why this whole uh, study is called Getting to Know Jesus. Oh, look, look at that. 
getting to know Jesus. John wrote this book so that you and I today would not just know a history or not just know some Jesus stories, but so that we would know Jesus personally, who he is. And he starts off in John chapter 1, if you remember, if you were here when we taught it, and he talks about how the living word of God is Jesus. Then he begins to tell these stories that describe and illustrate who Jesus is. He even tells us at the end of the book, he's like, hey, look, there's lots of other things that Jesus did, but it would take way too long to write them down. But he's like, but I chose these stories to illustrate who Jesus is to you on a personal level. So in reading in context, I think that's why we, we really have to back up a little bit and look at verse 47. So in this, what we've been studying is Jesus is speaking to these Jewish people, and they're not getting it. Perhaps he's even speaking to these religious leaders, these religious elite. And he tells them this, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. If you don't know the words of God, it's impossible to know Jesus because he is the word of God. He's the very word of God. In, in creation, if you were in Sunday school last week, we looked at what creation says and how there was a triune God present in the very beginning. But the power of God's word is Jesus. So we made this point that there was God the Father. It says God created. So we have God the Father. Then it says the Spirit hovered over the waters. We have the Holy Spirit present. And then the next word, which I think is verse 3, says, And God said. What is that? It's God's word. It's Jesus in the beginning. Three unique persons, all acting as one, which is what we call the Holy Trinity. So let's read, starting in verse 48 through our passage today, and then look a little deeper. It says, The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him, and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You were not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. 
So let's travel back to verse 48. So Jesus pretty much has just accused these Jewish people of not knowing God and not knowing God's word. Okay? And then they answer him by making accusations back to Jesus. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't making accusations. Jesus knew their hearts, knew the truth. But the Jews began to throw these kind of, you know, I guess emotional and intellectual stones at Jesus. And first they say, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan? You know, the Samaritan were these half-breeds who the Jews hated, and they felt that they weren't as godly as a people or couldn't be saved. You know, they just thought really bad things about them. And several weeks ago, we looked at how um, Jesus, Jesus had already been accused of this because they had said, hey, we don't even know who your father is. And Jesus responds, you're right, you don't know my father because you don't know God. So Jesus doesn't even really answer the Samaritan accusation at this point. He's probably thinking, I've already answered that for you. But then they say, you have a demon. Jesus does take time to answer this very serious accusation. They now say he is demon-possessed. Now, don't miss this here. The people are so blinded by their ignorance, they are now calling the work of God a work of Satan. Have you guys seen that? They now have the very essence, the God in the flesh, the Messiah, standing right in front of them, doing the work of God, and they're so blinded, they think it's a work of Satan. Have you ever looked at something yourself and, and said, God couldn't do it that way, or God wouldn't do it that way? I know I have. I've fallen into that trap where I start to box God in. These Jewish people truly believed they had God so figured out. They knew God so well that through their rules, religiosity, and traditions, they knew how God could and should work. And I think we're the worst when it comes to this. I'll illustrate it this way. Imagine one day, Someone in our church body has this great idea. You know, hey, we want to either like serve the community or we're going we're gonna to do this thing to reach into our community, something. We do it. We get it together. The event happens. It goes amazingly. People are saved. The church is invigorated. I mean, God just shows up. It's this awesome thing. I mean, we're, everyone's like, man, look at what God did. What's the first thing that happens? Someone says, man, that was so good. We should do it again next year. Right? That's not bad of itself. Maybe God wants to use something again. And so next year it gets planned. It goes. I mean, it's, it, it goes. Some good things happen, but it wasn't like the golden first year, right? We, everyone's like, man, I remember that. Ten years down the road, this event's happening. It's now like, you know, this is the 10th annual such and such. And there's not a lot of fruit from it. And someone says, hey, why do we even do this? And the next answer is, well, I don't really know. It's just something we've always done. We begin to box God in, I believe, when we say, God, we're not going to even ask you if this is okay. We know you worked one way that way. Surely you're going to do it again. And we do it. When we substitute the action of God with something other than what God desires, it's the work of sin. 
And I truly believe that the phrase, that's the way we've always done it, is a work of Satan. Because Satan knows if I can get them to do the same thing over and over again, even though God's not a part of it, it's going to produce a church who is mediocrely trying to force the hand of God or force works of God among themselves. Point number two, if you're taking notes. We cannot force a work of God. Only God does that. Who are we to think that we can make God do something? But yet we do it all the time. We say, hey, God, um, we have this thing planned. I hope you show up too. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Yet what happens is we begin to not necessarily seek glory for ourselves, but we're like, man, look at that thing our church did. It's so awesome. And we really are glorifying ourselves and sort of pointing glory to God. Even Jesus himself, when questioned, said, it's not I who glorifying myself. It's glorify- I'm looking to glorify my Father in heaven. And then he moves on. And he makes probably, probably the biggest statement in this whole passage. So he explains to them, hey, um, Jesus is like, hey, if you keep my word, those who keep my word will never see death. Then the Jewish people respond, what do you mean? Abraham, he was a man of God. The prophets, they were men of God. They died. How do you explain that? Jesus, you know, Messiah. And, and then they even throw out there, how can you say that we're not even going to taste death? Now notice that word change. Jesus says, you're not going to see death. The people say, you're not going to taste death. And I dug in, and the actual Greek words are different words there, and there's different meanings. And as many times as we've seen the book of John, Jesus is speaking in a spiritually manner, and the Jewish people are speaking in a physical manner. The word see that Jesus uses is really is like, it's like to perceive or to look on or to discern. So when Jesus is saying, if you keep my word, you won't perceive death, he's speaking spiritually. He's like, you know what? I, there is this thing called hell, and sin sends you to hell because sin equals death. But if you have my word and you keep with me, you will only know life, and you will never have to perceive or have that. And the Jewish people take it in another sense. They use the word taste, which literally means to experience. They're thinking, we're gonna, how are we not going to physically experience death if the great men of God in our past have, have all died? And Jesus, I love, he answers. He's like, hey, before Abraham even was, I am. And if you've ever studied theology or scripture long enough, you'll know that that is a big, big statement. Like, I almost feel like John should have put parentheses and put gasp in that section. Because, I mean, I just imagine as these Jewish people who have their God boxed in this little thing, God's going to work this way. And then this crazy man I'm speaking to speaks up and says, I am, which is the Greek, uh, Greek translation of God's divine name. Can you imagine how taken aback they are? <gasps> a big statement. Now, in, in John, we've seen several times, and we will see some more, where he uses I am, and he has this predicate of describing his character and who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the door of the sheep. 
I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And eventually, I'm the true vine. Jesus makes all these, these powerful statements that reveal who he is. But I really believe there's none more powerful than when he says, before Abraham was, I am. He stands before them and he says, you know how I know that you won't see death? Because I am eternal. I was there before creation. And it recalls this, the prologue that we talked about in John chapter 1, that the Word existed even at the beginning of time. And that His existence has been continuous since His life is completely drawn from God's eternal life. Now, when I read Scripture, I, I love to put, try to put myself in the mindset and in the shoes of the characters in the story. Because I think from that we can try to get some perspective and say, okay, why did these Jewish people, why did they miss it? How did they miss it? God is standing right in front of them. But you know what? If I'm a religious leader and I know how God works, and I know that this man, Jesus, he was born of Mary in the little town of Nazareth. I've seen him raised up from a childhood. I know he didn't just like float down out of heaven one day and like, you know, step on earth and he's like, I am the Messiah. It was not a moment like that. Jesus' birth was really unassuming. Now we had the, we had the angels and the, the shepherds and the kings come. But in all of mankind, it was an unassuming birth. He came as a weak baby. Now, if I was someone who was expecting the Messiah to come and I was looking forward to God fixing our world, would I say it's this man from Nazareth who I know is mom, when no one knows his dad, and now he's claiming to be God? We'd all say he was crazy. We'd all miss it, I think. Because we're human. But in reality, they should have known their ancestry points back to what God has done in their life. They, their, their forefathers have walked with God, and these stories have been passed down. But yet, their hearts were so hardened by ignorance that they miss it. To think, and Jesus has already told them that these people don't know him. So we know that they didn't know him. But maybe if their hearts weren't so hardened, if they weren't so focused on making God do what they wanted, would they have missed Jesus then? And I don't know. But to think they stood face to face with the Son of God, the very power of God's Word that created everything, the eternal Messiah, and they missed it. Now, I have to be honest. I realize my preaching is not going to save anyone. And that's not why I preach. I can't save you. My words can't save you. But God's Word can. I only pray that through my words, the Holy Spirit is working and softening hearts so that maybe you'll, you'll just hear God speak to you. You'll see God working, and you'll lose the mindset of, hey, God can only do it this way. Because 
God wants to draw people to himself. And then through his words, through Jesus, people are called to respond. The very end of the story, it says they picked up stones to stone him. You know why they picked up stones? Because the legal proceedings of blasphemy against God is stoning. So these guys are like, hey, we know our law. If someone speaks against God, we have to kill him by stoning. Like that's, that's just, that's the way we do it. But then it says Jesus hid himself. Another version I read said Jesus vanished. Okay, this is one of those moments I really hope in heaven that we have a movie theater where we can watch like the past and see how this happened because Jesus does this a couple of times and I really just want to see it, right? It says Jesus hid himself, but you know why he hid himself? Why he vanished? Because it wasn't the appointed time for his death. And we have to realize God's plan is divine. And here's point number three. God's plan will always happen. We cannot thwart God. Even Satan and hell cannot stop God. Because Jesus defeated all of hell and all of sin when he died on the cross to pay the payment for our sin. That's why we sing there's victory in Jesus. And you look at that, and like I said, sometimes when God works out of ways we don't really understand, it's confusing, right? Some of us find ourselves in these life situations that it's just hard, and you're like, God, are you doing anything? And we don't understand. But what we do need to just know for a fact, God is working. God's plan is coming. It's working out into fruition. And also, here's what I do know. God's way is always the best way. Whether we think it is or not. Sometimes what we view as God doing it the wrong way is God saying, just trust me. I'm in control. Just trust me. I know what I'm doing. He is sovereign and powerful beyond comprehension. And if I thought I could even understand the way he works or even understand all the ways he could work in our lives, he wouldn't be God because who am I to understand something as great and as uncomparable as God? Even Jesus dying is confusing. His disciples, I mean, and Jesus even told them, hey, I'm going away, I'm dying, I'm going to be suffering, and they missed it. They're like, oh yeah, right, Jesus, okay? But can you imagine following Jesus? You've been walking with this man. You fully believe he's the Messiah. You fully believe that he's who God sent. You never would have thought God's plan was for him to actually die on a cross. The losers die, don't they? God's work can be confusing sometimes. But God's plan will always happen. And perhaps you're looking at your own life and you're saying, man, where, where is God working? Just know that God can't be defeated. Even our lack of belief can't defeat God.
I know that Scripture is hard to understand sometimes. I know that sometimes we feel like God's so far away. But all we have to do is keep looking. Because if you want to know who God is, if you want to see how He's working around you, not know how He's working, because who is it for us to know the knowledge of God? But if you want to see God working around you, you do have to know Him. And this morning, as, as we look at this, if there's someone in this room who maybe you're going through that tough time, and you're just looking at life going, God, you can't be real because you're not doing anything to fix this problem. Man, I've been there. But you know what? Trust in the fact that God's in control, and His way is good. And perhaps even, maybe, maybe you've been struggling to, to see God, because you're, you're just, maybe you're checking out this thing called Jesus, and you look at churches, and you see traditions, and you see um, these things that always get done, or whatever. Know that we are looking for God to just work and pray through everything that we do. I pray that we're a church who doesn't just do things and do things, but that God says, hey, I'm doing this, come along, and we jump on board. So in, in this time, I'm going to pray, and I'm just going to pray that hearts are softened. And if you would like to respond, if you need prayer, I'd love to pray for you. If you need to just nail down today and say, you know what? I want that relationship with Jesus. Make it today. Or perhaps you want to be a part of this, this church body. This is a great church. Man, we love Jesus, and we want people to know who Jesus is, and we want to serve our community so that Jesus can be known throughout our community. And if you want to be a part of that, you're, this is a great time to come and just say, hey, I want to I be with you. So I'm going to pray and respond as you feel God leading. Father, we love you so much. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for your working even when we don't understand it. God, thank you for being a God of life. We don't have to see spiritual death if we know you. Father, I pray that as hearts are softened, God, as, as Holy Spirit, God, I just ask that you move and change people today, God. Take away our hard hearts. Take away um, our box that we have for you, God. I pray that we begin to, to just say, hey, we're just going to do whatever, God, whatever you want us to do. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.